This is Storycraft, Episode 1. Hi everyone, my name is Nick. I am the host of this brand new podcast, broadcasting from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, which is currently under lockdown for COVID-19. Much like the rest of the world, our cases are going up, but we are not here to talk about that today. We are here because this podcast will focus on story theory, what makes story wor- stories work, what makes them not work, how they are devised and plotted or, you know, written by the seat of our pants. Because some of us do that, like me. I don't even write in order anymore. I just pick a chapter in the middle of the book and start writing. So I wanted to start, you know, by talking about the idea behind Storycraft because I was um, doing some author interviews, video interviews on my Instagram last fall. And for personal reasons, um, I didn't keep up with it. I had people lined up uh, to do it. uh, And I only ended up getting to two of them before certain circumstances drove me off. So I did want to continue that eventually and uh, inviting other authors on here because there's so many ideas out there and there's so many processes for getting to those ideas that it's always interesting to hear how people come up with them. So eventually I want to get into stuff like that. But for today, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, talk about my books that are available on Amazon, but I'm really not here to, like, make sales or anything because I really just write because I enjoy it. Instead, what I'm going to start out with is some of my influences and, you know, how I got into writing and uh, over time, you know, I will get into the inspirations behind each of those books. This podcast came about because I was beginning to explore doing audiobooks and I had hired a really great narrator for the first one and she did a wonderful job and I brought her back for a second. But to be honest, I'm not that rich. I can't afford to bankroll a professional narrator every single time I want to put an audiobook on the market. So I thought I would have to learn to do some of them myself. But before you can even get into the story of how I became a writer, it's important to understand a person's influences. Now here's one concept that I'm going to you know, probably say again and again and again, and that is nothing is original. You can sit there till you're blue in the face trying to convince me that you have written the most original story and nothing has been seen like it before. And you know how I know this? Because I used to be the same way. My brother used to sit there and shoot down my ideas, not to be mean, but when I was younger, I, I had that mindset and someone needs to smack some sense into me. He, I was lucky that he did it, and I would say, yeah, this is the best idea, and he'd be like, there's a hole there, and I would get so mad at him, but in the end, it taught me to realize that nothing is original. Now, here's the other lesson that I'm going to preach over and over and over, is that people like what they like. You can't please everyone. It always helps to be writing for someone, and as I will say time and time again, I mostly write for myself. Sometimes I write for my my nine-year-old daughter, Skylar, like my current series that I started. It's my third series, and I started it for her, and it's kind of devolved into something else and more twisted, but it is still in spirit for her. 
So, but at the end of the day, I do it because I enjoy it, not because, you know, I have some delusion that it's going to grow into anything bigger than it currently is. It could stay this way forever, and I'll just keep doing it because I enjoy it. And I think that's a tremendously important thing. But at the same time, you are not going to convince everyone and their mother that it's the greatest thing ever. There are, and there is an entire subsection of readers who actually seek out terribly reviewed books because they get a kick out of reading them, and maybe they just want to form their own opinion. Although, it really depends on what are we talking about here. There are different markets and different expectations for the markets. There are people who break expectations within their given market. I know I'm not a romance fan at all. I I don't mind it as a B story. That's not really why I'm what I'm reading for. So most of the time it's like, man, whatever. But there is a huge market for romance. I realize there are several different branches. There's stuff like Reverse Harem and the Fifty Shades crowd and, you know, the more twisted stuff. But I'm talking about, you know, the small town romantic comedies that Hollywood pops out like 12 a year or something like that. The chef hates her assistant and then falls in love with him. The expectation is set in that market and you know some people will try and deviate from it but i don't often see too much controversy again not talking about the 50 shades subgenre talking about what people think of as romantic comedies or clean romance or whatever that's what they think of as romance in general but different genres have and I, I'm focusing on movies and books and you know even video games to some extent as one medium under the lens of story theory. So if you look at something like Star Wars where you'll have immense backlash to what was it called? The Last Jedi. So many people hate The Last Jedi. It was very divisive. I can't even stay awake during the damn thing. Now, I saw the first Star Wars movies when I was maybe five or six years old, and those are Star Wars to me. And Hollywood has an incentive to keep making everything into a franchise, so George Lucas was willing to do the prequels. I was 14 when that, what was it called, The Phantom Menace came out, and I went to see it in the theater. I was kind of in that sweet spot where I didn't love The Phantom Menace, but I didn't hate it either. And then came Attack of the Clones. Star Wars lost me forever. I did see Revenge of the Sith, I did see The Force Awakens, but it was like depleted. I'm If I'm ever going to watch a Star Wars movie again, it will be the originals. A New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. I went to go see uh, Solo with my ex's family when we were together. That was just the biggest bullcrap movie ever. But then, because I will stress again, everyone likes different things. There are people who love the new movies and think they're the best thing. I can change their mind if I wanted to. And that's the beauty of art. It's very subjective. Now, I don't. I can play something that someone else hates and love it, and vice versa. There are things I don't like that people love, and I don't understand that. My mom thinks Star Wars is the stupidest thing. It's like, okay, mom, that's great, but you watch Mamma Mia like eight times a year. The point here is, is that everyone likes different things, and you will never please everyone. I can get a one-star review for my book i get a five star review for my book you know what the star rating system is arbitrary i have a lot of four and five star reviews and i don't really care that they're four and five stars i care about what is said within the review and this is where it's i care more about the opinion within that review than i do about that arbitrary rating system so with my rant about star wars concluded 
I will proceed to get into some of my influences. R.L. Stein would have been my first author that I really liked, so I read uh, Goosebumps and everything that was available at the time, Fear Street, which was his series for people older teens, and then my mom, either because she got tired of buying me Goosebumps and Fear Street, just one day handed me a Stephen King book out of her bookshelf, and it was Cujo. My mom's a pretty responsible parent, but I... She probably twisted me for life, and I thought it was awesome. So by the time I was probably about 14 or 15, I'd read most of King's earlier catalog. So that would have been Carrie, Salem's Lot, Fans, Shining, Firestarter, Tommy Knocker's The Stand, everything basically published up to about 1995 or 1996. Then came Bag of Bones, which is actually still one of my favorite Stephen King novels. Newer work, uh, like I read Elevation, uh, that was a weird one. Oh, 11, 22, 63 was fantastic though. You know, so I've read a good chunk of his catalog and I will get into my nitpicks with Stephen King. I do genuinely love his work which is why I kind of rag on it a little bit, because we love it. And I probably could say the same of Star Wars fans. They lost me long ago, but people who rag on Star Wars just love it, and they want it to be everything that they love. And, you know, I don't necessarily agree with the death threats against Ryan Johnson, but people have a right when they're, you know, paying to consume movies or things that don't turn out the way they like and usually people will vote with their wallet and they'll give up on it on that franchise and that's less money taking bad creative turns there's a lot of examples that we can use over the next few episodes just to pick apart you know what doesn't work i'll give you an infamous example with lost i realized that network tv relies on ratings but that was some horribly convoluted bullshit and i didn't even hate lost I gave it the entire series, and I was just like, what is happening? And then there are people who will just rag on the work just because they can, because they need something to criticize. So, I mean, it's not worth taking these things personally. Everyone has an opinion. You're not going to please everyone, and nothing is original. Everyone has inspirations and influences, and they pull from those. This is where I'm going to say, again, nothing is original, because it's really about the voice telling the story not the story itself. One of my favorite examples to give people is if you had given the exact outline for Lord of the Rings to C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, would you get the same book? You would, in a sense. You would get the A to Z from Hobbiton to Mordor. But think about all the things that would change between. The, the men were friends, as far as I know, but they were very different. Lewis saw everything through the lens of his faith, Whereas Tolkien saw everything through the lens of Elvish and war, the story he wanted to tell. So you would get a lot of little differences if both men wrote the same story. That's where perspective comes in because you will never get the same blend of cultural outlook and politics and history, you know, personal preference from two people. It will just never be replicated. That's what makes us unique. And that is the part that makes stories unique. Another example to consider is Game of Thrones. I mean, look at George Martin. It's been 10 years, George, since we got A Dance with Dragons. I think it's 10 years now, isn't it? Something along those lines. In that time, we've had the entire Game of Thrones series. 
this is actually a perfect example because he gave D&D the outline for the ending that he had in mind. If he doesn't finish those books, that shows his legacy. It's the story's ending. What Martin could have done and what D&D did might actually look very different. And this is where it's coming back to perspective is because those showrunners had specific objectives in mind once they got that outline. Is They saw the story a certain way. I bet you anything that Martin has a completely different vision for it. And now he may even, you know, if he even bothers to finish, or if he does finish, because it could be just a motivational thing, why would he need to finish unless he wants to? He could see that exact chain of events as something different, and then we're going to look back at the show and be like, what the hell were they thinking? Now, if that is his ending, I would really hope that he has better thought it out than they did. Now, to be honest, I sound like I've just been bitching a lot, but there are a lot of great examples of stories that are really well executed. I'm just basically speaking about perspective, how people's different views and origins in life and life experiences can affect how that story is written. So while nothing might be original, it is combination of the voice that makes it unique. And likewise, some people may not even be able to relate in any way to the story that you're telling, which will affect their opinion of the story that you've written. So then we have to look at the reasons that these stories that actually work, like Lord of the Rings, that might take elements of, you know, something that has been done before and turn it into something that hasn't been done before or that is at least unique enough. If you read the introduction for Stephen King's Dark Tower series, he talks about how he wanted to write something like Lord of the Rings because Lord of the Rings was really big when he was a kid. And he took that uh, inspiration, but he knew he if he tried to go along the same lines as Tolkien had, it would have turned out to be just a ripoff. And he wanted his epic sci-fi saga to reflect his interests, but he wanted something that epic. He even mentioned he foresaw Roland Deschain as Clint Eastwood from old spaghetti westerns and stuff like that. He rolled with that fusion of the old western, sci-fi, and fantasy. So it just goes to show you, we all have our own inspirations. We all have things that stayed with us and... Like, I remember the first time I saw the movie Leprechaun 3, and the leprechaun cut the gold out of the dude's stomach, and, like, that just traumatized me. And I must have been about six years old. I think I saw Wes Craven's New Nightmare, and that was the first time I'd ever heard of Freddy Krueger. And, again, I was, like, only, like, seven or eight, and going into my depraved upbringing of overexposure to adult themes and films and movies from a very young age. These things stay with you. I knew one person who was, their uncle took them to see the original It, and to this day, he does not like clowns. So you, you have things that like stay with you over the years, and then they get reinforced, and if you really pay attention to the story structure and everything, like I tend to, tend not to watch too many movies because I'll pick them apart, like Cold Case Files. If you're paying attention to what's out there, and like you shouldn't write to market unless you're just in it to make money off the market. Like that's a completely different thing. 
we're talking about the integrity of story structure, narrative symmetry, which I'll get into in like some future episodes and stuff like that, thematic, basic plot plot structure, and how do you play with that enough to make it exciting? You know, there's stuff like inciting events. Um, there, there's tons of great books on it. Like I hear uh, Save the Cat Writes a Novel is a, a popular one. I personally recommend Stephen King's On Writing. That is a great craft book, and you actually learn a thing or two about the man himself if you're a fan of his work. So there are always resource books out there. There's tons of free resources on the internet. But really, my greatest study, I think, came from just watching movies and reading books and watching how things played out in a specific way every time. Like, there's a formula to storytelling. And yes, you can subvert it, but as far as plot structure goes, it's kind of the same forever what makes a good story nothing to do with the plot structure but with how you use the plot structure to your advantage and you know one of the problems i had as a younger writer was that i was trying to do too much and i see a lot of that it's just like the story is trying to do everything it's like no you keep things simple you can add layers over top of that simple premise but don't try and shove all this stuff into a story to make it more exciting you want to pursue the basic premise to the end, and you know you can have other things going on. That's fine. That's why we have B storylines and romance storylines, and why you see a lot of TV shows with annoying kid storylines, like teenagers and stuff. Yeah, it's just another layer. The way I compare it to is if I'm writing a series, I focus on one book at a time. What'll happen is it's like a chess game. Is in the context of that first book, I'm only worried about that first book. I'm not thinking about four books from now. I I might have an idea if I kept those premises simple. Of hey, this might be the next premise, but I'm not really actively thinking about that. In book because I do try and bookend them and not leave on cliffhangers. And we'll get to talking about cliffhangers. I've done a couple of them, but I prefer not to because a it just unless the whole series is out, it tends to piss people off. (laughs) They can be fun, though, because even then it's like leaving me on a cliffhanger, like, ooh, what's going to happen? And then, you know, I have incentive to keep going. But, yeah, no, it's generally not the way I like to do it. I like to bookend everything and, like, have each installment of a series be its own story within the story so that you get that resolution. And if there is a cliffhanger, it comes as like an extra thing. Every story calls for something different. But that's how I try and come at it because cliffhangers are just not fun. So I think I'm going to leave off there. I've been trying to figure out where the best length is. Some 20 minutes a week sounds pretty good. I hope you enjoyed this first little episode. But yeah, I'm going to try and do this once a week or so and hopefully talk to some authors about getting on here and and talking about some stuff to do with story theory. Thank you very much for tuning in. You can catch me on my Instagram at G-A-G-N-I-E-R, Nicholas, N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S, author. I'm also on Facebook under Nicholas Gagne. Thanks very much for tuning in. Take care.